Questions, questions, so many questions. Should Cuyahoga County have a high-paying job to oversee spending of the opioid settlement cash? Should judicial candidates list their party affiliations on your ballots? Welcome to the weekly bonus episode of This Week in the CLE from Cleveland.com. In our regular episode, published Thursdays, the reporters and editors of Cleveland.com analyze the news of the week. In this short bonus episode, we ask the lingering questions about some of the bigger stories of the week. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn. Here's a question sure to be on the minds of Cuyahoga County voters being asked to increase their social service taxes in March. Why does the county need a new $130,000 a year job to oversee spending of $100 million from settlements with the companies that caused the opioid crisis? Without talking to the county council, County Executive Armin Budish created that position with plans to pay part of the salary from the settlement money, and he put the county's public safety chief, Brandy Carney, into the job. Budish and County Council President Dan Brady have professed to be adamant about ensuring the opioid settlement is spent on the crisis. They had never said it would pay for someone's salary. Brady, upon hearing that it would, said he is troubled by that use of the money. That's fine, but the bigger question here is why we need this position at all. The county spends boatloads of money each year on the kinds of services that the settlement would be used for. Why can't the people overseeing those services do this work? Why does the county need a new position that is not even in the current budget? We'll look to the county council to compel the Buddhist administration to provide the answers. Do you have a right to know when you cast a ballot for judges, whether they are Republicans or Democrats? Right now in Ohio, judicial races are considered nonpartisan, so the parties of the judges are not listed. Some legislators want to change that and give candidates the option of listing their parties. Seems like a no-brainer. Why not give voters every bit of information possible so they can make informed choices? The result of such a move, though, could be less of a choice for voters. In heavily Democratic Cuyahoga County, the occasional Republican squeaks through to win election as judge, but would that happen if parties were listed on the ballots? Some might argue that keeping parties off the ballots would give more candidates a chance, but that's really an argument that says fooling the voters is okay. The transparent thing to do is list them. So the question is whether the legislature will follow up and make that happen. Does anyone in Greater Cleveland have a new idea for reducing youth violence? Cleveland.com reported in recent days that the percentage of homicide victims under 18 skyrocketed in 2019, as has the number of juveniles charged as adults because of brutal acts of violence like homicide. The number of homicides has been pretty steady. It's the victims getting younger that has changed. Cleveland Mayor Frank Jackson's strategy includes putting trauma counselors and anti-violence services in city rec centers, but so far that hasn't affected the numbers. County Prosecutor Michael O'Malley believes charging violent juveniles as adults gets them off the street, which he believes will reduce youth violence in the long run. But O'Malley has been prosecutor for three years, and the problems are getting worse, not better. Perhaps Metro Health CEO Akram Boutros has an answer. 
He and his team are focusing on dealing with trauma quickly in his hospitals, but he's also getting his teams out into the neighborhoods. The question is, can Metro Health do this alone, or does it need a lot more resources to expand its approach? Is there any hope for the people fighting the $900 million Ohio bailout of the state's aging nuclear plants? The answer to that question will come from the Ohio Supreme Court. The state legislature, controlled by a supermajority of Republicans, did everything they could to force Ohio residents to subsidize First Energy's nuclear plants. And they did not consider public opinion on that bailout. The people fighting it want to give voters the chance to approve or kill it. But those opponents did not collect enough signatures from registered voters by a deadline to get the question headed to the ballot. They say Ohio's system was stacked against them. They were supposed to have 90 days to get the signatures, but because of delays by state officials beyond the opponent's control, they could not start collecting them until day 39. They want 38 more days to get back out on the trail to get those signatures. The Supreme Court recently agreed to hear their arguments, so even though the bailout began in October, a light chance exists that voters will get to end it. Will the people running Cleveland Hopkins International Airport ever truly comprehend why airports have strict security rules and stop breaching them? The Transportation Security Administration is investigating yet another reported breach at Hopkins in which an airport supervisor is accused of helping someone get into the secure part of the airport without going through the TSA security stations. The city says this case involves Deputy Commissioner Eric Turner, a longtime airport employee who would face discipline if he is found to have broken the rules. The breach is the fourth at Hopkins since October 2018, when Fred Zabo, then the assistant airport director, escorted Mayor Frank Jackson's chief of operations, Darnell Brown, around the TSA security screeners. The city drew the ire of the TSA for failing to report that breach quickly. Brown had already cleared security to catch a flight, but realized he left his cell phone in his car. Zabo helped retrieve the phone and then helped Brown bypass security and board the flight. Zabo lost his security clearance and then his position at the airport as a result, which should have sent a message to others who work there. Evidently not. So another question here is how long the TSA will tolerate these kinds of breaches without hitting Cleveland with a big fine. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of This Week in the CLE. We'll be back Thursday with a full episode and then again next Saturday with another short episode about the questions that remain from the week. (music) 